0: Thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel, so let's join Pastor Dave now.
1: On Mount Sinai, God came to Israel on the third day to bring them new life with His covenant of Moses. This third day symbolizes a transition from the old to new. So when God spoke to him from Mount Sinai, that was on the third day. Here in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, as well as in verse 8, David arrives at Ziklag on the third day when everything looked dead, yet now he's given new life because it was on that same day that God told him what? Go, you'll recover all that you have lost. Life, new life on the third day. In 2 Samuel Um, In in 1 Samuel 30, verse 13, the Egyptian has been sick without food for three days. Then a new master comes, David, and this Egyptian, this Gentile, is given new life. And then what we're going to see here in 2 Samuel here in a moment, that David is going to be in Ziklag for three days when he gets word that Saul is dead. The old is now passed with the death of Saul and new life with David begins that third day analogy, all through the word of God, we see it time and time again, it speaks of newness of life, going from the old to the new. And we see it all through the account here of First Samuel. Going here to First Samuel 31, verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines, fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Gilboa was the location of the Israeli army camp in 1 Samuel 28, verse 4. Um, this is the battle that uh, where Israel met with the Philistines there. Um, and the battle was so bad for Israel that they are in full retreat back to their own camp. Uh, and then in verse 2 it says, And the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. The Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, uh, Malchashua, Saul's sons. So, For some reason, we're going to see that there's another son that was not on the battlefield with him. Um, And we're going to see a little split for for a moment of David's kingdom and Saul's kingdom. But that's not for a couple more chapters. So, it says, The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him. He was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. The victory was so complete that they even abandoned their own cities, and the Philistines took ownership of it on that night. It's going to be on the next day that they're going to come and strip the slain. It says in verse 8, So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen, on Mount Gilboa, they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtaroth. They fashioned his body to the wall of Beth, uh, of Beth Shane. Now, I want to. We're going to go over to First Chronicles here in a moment so you can read further account of what happens here. Um, but Saul's death here. Um, you're you're able to see what the enemies uh, usually do with the fallen, especially when it's a captain or especially a king. They will take him and they will try and humiliate them to be able to show that their gods are much more superior. And so when they found Saul and his sons, they said yes and they grabbed him and they put him on the walls there of Beth Shemesh uh, or Beth Shane, I should say. So... It says in verse 11, Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, traveled all night, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bet-Shane, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days." Now, here's a question. When you go to Israel with us, we go to Bet-Shane, and, and we're able to see where that, that wall would have been up higher up. Bet-Shane that they have found now is a, is a newer Bet-Shane. It's pretty awesome, though. It was a time of Jesus, and it's a Roman town. But before that, it was a little bit further up that the Egyptians built that the Philistines would have taken over at that point. And so it's a, it's a hill that's a little bit further up that you get to walk to. And so you would have seen um, uh, Saul's body and, and his sons hanging there on that wall. Now the question is, what is it about um, Jabesh Gilead that these valiant men decided to risk their lives in order to go and take the bodies down from the wall and give uh, Saul and his sons a proper uh, burial? What do you think would make them want to do that? And I would submit to you it has everything to do with Saul's first conquest. You might remember that um, in, uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 11, that you have, um, you have Nahash, who is this Amorite that comes and surrounds Jabesh-Gilead and wants to humiliate them. And they're saying, will you make a covenant with us? And he says, I'll make a covenant under one condition, that every single male in your city, I get to put out their right eye in order to humiliate Israel. And so they sent out someone to Saul saying this is our situation and Saul gathered all the troops and that were none at that time and he goes on this charge and defeats the Amorites and he saves this city Jabesh Gilead and they never forgot it they never forgot it and in order to show tribute and thankfulness of what Saul did for them they risked their own lives to go and get those bodies and burn them and then give them a proper burial afterwards after that now I want you to go to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. 1 Chronicles chapter 10. Everything we just read is the exact same, except we're given a little bit more detail in verse thirteen and, and verse 10 and then 13 and 14. So we'll stop there at uh, verse 10 and we'll start there. 1 Chronicles 10, 10. And it says, And they put his armor in the temple of their gods and fastened his head in the temple of Dagon. So they cut off his head, they put his body on the wall, but they took his head and they actually placed it in, in the uh, uh, area of worship of their god, Dagon. And then it says, And when all Jabesh Gilead heard of all that the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose, took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons, and brought them to Jabesh and buried their bones on the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted at seven days. So the account we just read said they burned the bodies, then took the bones and buried them. So... You have that account. And then verse 13. So Saul died. Why? For his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. That would have been the witch of Endor. But he did not inquire of the Lord, therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. This is the only account that gives... The, um, uh, uh, the foundation of why God allowed to happen what happened here with Saul and bringing in David, it was because of his unfaithfulness. It's the fact that he, he sought a medium, which at Endor, the fact that he did not try to inquire of the Lord. Remember David, when, when all of a sudden he gets a zigzag you see what's happened? What does he do? He goes to inquire of the Lord. He finally came to an end of himself. You look at Saul, he never came to an end of himself to where he would submit himself and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness and seek the Lord. And because of that, God killed him. God killed him. So, let's go here to 2 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read something just a bit different than what we just read. So, now it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, On the third day. Again, highlight that. Just how many times that was said just in the last you know, couple of chapters. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn, dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground, prostrated himself, David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people have fallen and dead. Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So far, everything fitting in line with what we read in chapter 1, uh, or chapter 31 of 1 Samuel, as well as 1 Chronicles chapter 10. 1 Chronicles chapter 10, 1 Samuel 31, and here in 2 Samuel Chapter 1 are the three areas that talk about Saul's death, okay, and how he died. And as we read, 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10 line up perfectly, fit like a glove. And so far, through verse 4, fits like a glove. Then in verse 5, it says, So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, There was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. Happened by chance? I will submit to you it wasn't by chance. I would submit to you he probably knows of the battle. He's hiding out. He's waiting for the battle to end. To do what? To descend upon the spoils and begin to strip the bodies, look for treasure, things like that. Verse 7. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me called to me and i answered here i am and he said to me who are you so i answered him i'm an amalekite and he said to me again please stand over me kill me for anguish has come upon me but my life still remains in me that's not the account that we get in the other two areas of scripture that we've gone over in first chronicles 10 and at the end of first samuel 31 we don't we don't get that account but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them here to my Lord. Now what what do you think this Amalekite is thinking as he presents this to David? I would submit to you he's thinking David is going to be very pleased with this because now he's going to be king. But look what happens. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes, tore them. So did all the men who were with him. They mourned, they wept, they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put your hand forth to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of his young men and said, Go near, execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So we have a couple of issues here. How do you reconcile chapter 1 of 2 Samuel with 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10? I believe that 1 Samuel 31, 1 Chronicles 10 give testimony of one another, okay, of its validity. And so there's two viewpoints here. The one viewpoint is is that the armor bearer just thought Saul was dead, and so then he killed himself. Then the Amalekite comes over to Saul. Saul did not actually die even after falling on his own sword. Death still escaped him, and so Saul calls out to the Amalekite to kill him, and so the Amalekite kills Saul. Possibility, okay, to reconcile them all if you want to. And, um, and for a while, I was kind of in that camp. I'm no longer in that camp. I'm more in the camp of viewpoint two, all right? The Amalekite was lying, okay? In order to ingratiate himself to David, he thought by telling David uh, that he killed him, either David would be so glad that he could be king and thus give him a reward, or make David glad that he made sure that Saul was dead after he was suffering there, and thus showing himself what a mercy kill is all about. Either way, he figures he's covering his base and ingratiating himself to David. If for some reason David really isn't going to be excited because he did love Saul, at least he'll know I did it in order to give him a mercy kill so he wouldn't suffer and, and because of that, David would be in ingrat- gratitude for me. If he doesn't care about that, he'll be in gratitude towards me, ingratiated towards me because of the fact that I'm bringing him the crown as well as, as the um, bracelet that shows royalty. And so either way, he's, he's going to want to bless me for that. Now, he says he's a resident alien of Israel. And the reason he says that is because by saying he's a resident alien, he's invo- invoking the law of the land of Israel. And that is, Jews were to treat the resident aliens well. In Exodus twenty two twenty one, you shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. In Exodus 23, 9, also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19.33, if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. Leviticus 24.22, you shall have the same law for the stranger and for the one of your own country, for I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 24.17, you shall not pervert justice due the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garments as a pledge. And so this was said time and time again to Israel because you were a foreigner in a foreign land and you know what it's like to be mistreated, now that you're in your land, you're not going to do the same thing. And so if there are foreigners that are willing to live in the land under your authority, you're to treat them well. So he says, I'm an Amalekite, but a resident Amalekite, a resident alien, thus invoking and bringing to remembrance to David, treat me well, treat me well, is what he's saying there. So bringing back news of Saul's death along with the crown and the royal bracelet, he thought he was bringing David good news. Can you imagine what he was thinking when David began to weep and tear his clothes and to mourn and to fast until evening along with all his men? I'm wondering what's going through his mind. I'm wondering if he's going, that's not what I expected. This just might not go the way I think it is. So David says to the young man, Where are you from? I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. How is it you are not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he, he knows this is not going in the right direction for him. Then David called one of his young men and said, Go near, execute him. He struck him, so he died. David said, Your blood is on your own head. For your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So, and understand this. David doesn't know the true account of what happened. At this point, he thinks that's the way it happened. And in his eyes, you killed Saul. Yeah, but he was dying. He he wasn't going to recover. I was keeping him from suffering. Sorry, by your own mouth. You killed the Lord's. I didn't didn't kill him. I, I was just putting him out of his suffering, his misery. You killed him. You killed him. Now, there's two things that come up here when we go over this either one counts right or the other counts right but i'm telling you right here it brings up two issues if 1 samuel 31 and 1 chronicles 10 is correct then saul committed suicide if 1 samuel chapter 1 is correct then the amalekite did a what we would call a mercy kill okay euthanasia is what that would be called so Either way, those two things are wrong in the eyes of God. There's never, ever, in God's word, a suicide that doesn't have a negative connotation to it or a mercy kill that doesn't have a negative connotation to it. So it kind of brings up these issues that get brought up in the church quite a bit. Um, Being a police chaplain, it comes up. Uh, being just a minister comes up. Being a Christian, I know it probably comes up. As you have family members or possibly friends who have committed suicide. Or have kids that have. Or kids who have had parents that have. Or possibly you have had that in your own family. And so you ask the question. And the question usually goes, if you commit suicide, does that mean that you go to hell? And I'm here to tell you, no. That's not what that means at all. There's no scriptural basis for that at all. But we do need to understand something. I do believe that in this case, what the Bible tells about suicide, God is the giver of life, which means he is the only one that can take it away. He made it. He can take it away. We are to know the number of our days and and we're told of the number of our days. And so there's a specific time then, yes, it will be time for you to die. But guess what? You don't get to determine when that time is because if you do that, guess what you've done? You've murdered yourself. You've taken life that has not been given you to take. And here's the problem with suicide. You actually think that your life is your life. And it's not. You were bought with a price. By the blood of Jesus Christ, not by silver and gold. Much more precious, the blood of Jesus. You don't belong to yourself. You don't. And so because of that, you can't take your own life. And it's a sin when you do. However, sin has been taken out on the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and you commit suicide, then guess what? It's like any other sin, it was taken out on the cross and it was washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Nowhere in God's word, it's not the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is knowing that the Holy Spirit is with everyone, convicting the world of sin, it says. What sin? Of not believing in him. It's the ultimate sin testimony it is the ultimate witness trying to point you to jesus and if you go your whole life and say no to that what you have done is you blaspheme the holy spirit because you're telling the holy spirit he is a liar and by the time you die at that point that is not forgivable that is not forgivable but i don't read anywhere else in god's word that says there's not any other sin is is uh you know is not forgivable. Yeah, but he he committed suicide. What kind of, he didn't have a chance to ask forgiveness for that. Same with the person who's speeding down the road and gets into an accident and dies. Same with anyone else that has unconfessed sin in his life when they die and go meet the Lord. Does that mean they're not a Christian because they had unconfessed sin in their life? Of course not. What does it say in Romans 8.31? It says this, makes it very clear. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Well, they committed suicide. I don't think he's in heaven. You're bringing a charge against God's elect saying that they're not in heaven? Are you kidding me? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who dies and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, suicide. It can't separate you from the love of God. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an exhaustive list that encompasses everything. Yeah, but David... They committed suicide, yeah. And you know what happened? They lost the battle, but you know something else? They won the war when they received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Are you telling me as a believer in Jesus Christ you haven't lost a battle from time to time? <sighs> I'm so thankful that I won the war, the big one, because if I was to tally up all the, the battles and the victories, I, I'd say maybe 50-50. <laughs> and that's, that's if I'm really doing good. Okay. I've lost many a battle, but I haven't lost the Never Lord, nor will I ever, because i put my trust in the person of Jesus Christ.
0: Neither death nor even life. Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m., and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service, and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell gas station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-663. 2514 Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the word of God.